announcements to you this morning. And also, by the way, greetings and Happy New Year's to you if you're joining us online. Uh, first, real quick, is that uh, just another quick and final reminder to turn in any prayer requests uh, to Marissa. I think what I, what I want to do is uh, during our Sunday mornings, during our corporate, uh, during our pastoral prayer, um, to start including uh, those prayer requests on a weekly basis, kind of going through, kind of going through the list alphabetically. Uh, so if anybody ever wonders, well, how come you don't pray for me on Sunday mornings? Well, it's because not on the prayer book. <laughs> so uh, please do that uh, this week. Uh, please do that this this week. This will kind of be the, the, the final week to turn those in because we want to get those booklets uh, produced and hand it to you uh, as soon as possible. And the other quick thing was that uh, I did, I think it was a couple weeks ago, I, I, in a newsletter, I put uh, together the list for the, uh, for the uh, book of the month uh, for the 2021 year. And some of you know that I release a kind of a short 10-minute video each week, just kind of covering some topics or uh, chapters in that month's book. Um, so I'm still doing that this year. Actually, I uh, might actually turn that to kind of a, a podcast format instead. Um, but just wanted you to remember that or, or to, for you to be aware of that. If you're not aware of that, uh, we do have that going on uh, as well for next year. So that's all we have. And let's go to the Lord and worship the Lord uh, through some songs this morning. Stand for our call to worship. Our call to worship this morning comes from the end of Romans 11. And what a way to begin the new year. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutinable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be all glory forever. Amen. Should nothing. Should nothing of our effort stand, no legacy survive. Unless the Lord does raise the house in vain, its builders strive. To you who boast tomorrow's gain, tell me what is your life? Amidst that vanishes at dawn, all glory be to Christ. In all glory be to Christ, our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. May this be our prayer. His will be done. His kingdom come on earth as is above. Who is himself our daily bread? Praise him, the Lord of love. Let living water satisfy the thirsty without price. We'll take a cup of kindness yet all 
continue that song of giving all glory to our God and Savior. 2020 was such a rough year, but it's important to remember that in spite of everything that happened, the Lord was on his throne. Nothing that happened in 2020 surprised God. And so we can give all praise and glory to him, and we can offer up our lives to him in service for the kingdom.
of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. Lord, help us. Show us your mercy, Lord. Help us to understand that this year belongs to you. That whatever may come our way, whatever path that may lie before us, Lord, we can trust you because everything works out to the good of those love God. And so we just thank you for this. I ask, Lord, that you would be with your servant as he comes to bring your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to see some, uh, some faces I haven't seen in quite some time. Uh, I mean, it's good to see everybody, but there's some people I haven't, haven't been able to come for different reasons. Some of you have been sick or just kind of trying to, you know, just to take precautions, but uh, it's good to, uh, man, just to, to see you all, and to, especially since, again, I've been seeing some of you in quite some time. 
It's good to be in the house of the Lord to worship Him, to praise Him, and I want to spend some time praying with you, and I want to read a passage of scriptures, a passage I actually have read last week. It's in Psalm 90, verse 12. It says, So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Lord, I'm reminded of the words of Augustine who said that, that you have created us for yourself and our hearts are restless until it finds its rest in you. Lord, you created us, you gave us life, you gave us breath, you gave us salvation through Jesus Christ. You have given us new life in Christ. Lord, and as this song that we've just sang, Lord, we want to give our lives to you. It's, it is your breath in our lungs. And with that breath, Lord, we want to turn it into praise. For you are good, and your steadfast love endures forever. And as we look back to this last year, Lord, and how difficult it was, We, can, we are thankful, Lord, that we are here in a new year and we can look back and see your faithfulness. We can see that you are still a good God and that you remain with your people. Lord, we thank you and praise you for, for protecting us. We thank you and praise you for those who have recovered from sickness and illness, even from covid we thank you, God, for being so, so wonderful and so kind and merciful and gracious to us. You are a good God. There is no other God like you. There is no other God besides you. And as difficult as this year has been, Lord, we look to this new year and we know that there are so many things that we cannot expect. There are things that we cannot prepare for. God, so we pray that you may satisfy us each and every day. We pray that you may help us to rest in Christ. Lord, we pray for those who are still struggling, for those who are sick, for those who are in despair, perhaps for those who may be in anguish. For those who have had a difficult year than most in year 2020. For each and every day that was difficult, Lord, would you be gracious and give and, and double the days of gladness. And we pray for recovery, Lord. We pray for healing. Lord, 
we pray that you may establish the work of our hands. Nothing that we endeavor to do this year will matter if it is not founded in Christ. Nothing will matter in the end if we, it's not done with the end to glorify your name. So we pray, Lord, that you may establish the work of our hands. Help us, Lord, solidify these things, God, so that if they may be tested, they may prove true and worthy. May you delight in the work of our hands. Father, we pray that you may give your servants great wisdom. Help us to be faithful no matter what happens this year. In all things, help us to be faithful, Lord, with everything that you have entrusted to us, with everything that you've given us, with everything that you call us to do. Help us to be faithful servants. Help us to be glad in you. May your favor shine upon us, O Lord. Lord, we trust you for all of these things. We look forward to all that you are going to do. May we rest in you and seek to do your will and not our own. And may we continue to hold on to your promises that are written for us in your scriptures. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord. That same heart, Lord, we pray also the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. As we look to this new year, may our prayer continue to be our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So if you would please turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, I'm going to pick it up in verse 12 and read to verse 15. So Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that you may give us the ears to hear. Help us, Lord, through our time together this morning to press into the kingdom of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't know if you are into making resolutions or not. Resolutions, I think, of uh, kind of a, a way of 
being able to gauge of what you are pursuing. Right, whatever that list may be of resolutions, it might be whatever, go to, go to the gym. Well, then you might be pursuing the gym, might be pursuing exercise and pursuing better health. You might be pursuing better time management. You might be pursuing, maybe as a Christian, you're pursuing a more robust prayer life. You might be pursuing a much more comprehensive and understanding of the knowledge uh, of, the, of the Word of God. When I think about this passage and... People differ on the interpretation of this passage, but I think this passage, one of the things it's communicating was that Jesus is intended to communicate to his hearers is that those who are Christians, that those who are citizens of the kingdom, they press into the kingdom. They lean into the kingdom. They pursue the kingdom of Christ fervently, desperately, even ferociously. So as we look to this new year, I thought that might be helpful and encouraging that we look at the life of a past, of a, of a saint in the past. And, and then for this morning, that saint is Adoniram Judson. And when I think of the life of Adoniram Judson, I think of this passage. When I think of his life, I think of somebody who was rigorous in his pursuit of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so whatever your resolutions may be, or if you have none, that's okay too. But I hope that your desire for 2020 will be to continue to press into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so I hope to encourage you through some lessons in the life of Adoniram Judson. It'll be kind of a very, very brief biography uh, Definitely don't have the time to cover a lot of things in his life, but cover some aspects of his life. Definitely go from the beginning to the end of his life and hopefully take some lessons for us. So, Adoniram Sr., so Adoniram's father, was a congregational minister, and his family eventually settled in Plymouth, Massachusetts, 1799. And during a time when he was traveling, trying to candidate at different uh, churches to become a pastor, his wife thought it might be encouraging to teach the little boy how to read. So he, he, she managed to do that, ended up teaching Adoniram Jr. to read in a week. And so when his father returned from his trips, he got home and he was immensely encouraged and proud to see his beloved son, pick up a Bible and read an entire chapter. And mind you, Ananiram Judson was three years old. Reading already. Reading the Bible. Reading an entire chapter. And his father was immensely proud, picked up his son and said, you're going to become a great man. That was the father's desire for his son. So, fast forward Several years, Adonai was grown older. In his teenage years, he struggled with personal ambition. His father's desire for him to become a great man, he adopted on his own. He also wanted to become a great man. But then these words kept impressing themselves upon his mind. These words that said, not unto us, not unto us, but unto thy name be the glory. And he struggled because, well, he wanted to become a great man. He wanted to accomplish great things. But how do you reconcile that with these words, 
how do you pursue your own accomplishments? How do you become or do something great and at the same time make the name of God great? So he struggled with that and until he finally just kind of suppressed those thoughts and emotions to continue with his life. And then fast forward a few more years, at the age of 16, he enrolled in Providence College as a, as a sophomore. Incredibly, incredibly brilliant kid. And he knew that. And he was probably a little conceited because of it as well. Now, during his college years, he met a classmate that he befriended. His name was Jacob Eames. Now, Jacob Eames was a deist. And a deist rejects all revealed religion. So they reject the Bible. They reject that you can know anything about God. They do believe in the existence of a God. But they don't believe in the Bible. And so Adoniram would eventually become a deist. And he knew that if his parents found out, well, they'd be stunned. And that he would break their hearts. Not only that, but he also felt that if you, if you reject the Father's God, then you're also rejecting the Father. So Adoniram was in anguish. With Jacob Eames, he felt like himself. He felt like he could be himself. But then with his parents, with his family, when he was, his, when he was at home, well, he felt like a hypocrite. Ret- attending religious services, engaging in family prayer. Then in conversation with his family, he told them his plans. He desired to, to go to New York and pursue a career in theater and playwright. His parents, understandably, weren't happy about it. His father was displeased. He asked, well, why won't you stay? I mean, you should become a minister. You could have a, a, a thriving ministry here in the area. And they kept going back and forth until Adoniram became increasingly angry, and then he just let it out. He said, your God is not mine. His mother, his heart was broken. His father was furious. His father tried to persuade him of the biblical God as revealed in the scriptures, but Adonai was just too, too, too smart. He kept presenting arguments and counter-arguments until he left his father just utterly speechless. So then, he proceeded with his plans and made his way to New York. However, he was grossly disappointed with what he experienced there. Just the life there and was what he's pursuing, so he ended up coming back. And on his return trip, he made a stop at an inn to spend the night, and there was only one room available, and the innkeeper said, it's next to a man who is gravely ill. And so Adoniram said, it's fine, he needed a place to sleep, so he stayed, and he tried to go to sleep that night, but he couldn't sleep because periodically he would hear the groans of the man next door through the walls. And he thought to himself, is this man prepared to die? As a deist, you don't really have a lot of answers to, his, to the God of his father. Death is entrance into eternal glory. But to a deist, death is just an exit into maybe darkness, maybe extinction, who knows? So he had these thoughts he was wrestling with these questions until he finally fell asleep. Now, the next morning, he prepares to leave. He checks in with the innkeeper, and he asks, well, what happened to the man next door? And the man tells him, he died. 
And I, and I was stunned. So he asked, do you know who he was? And the innkeeper says, yeah, he was a student at Providence College. His name was Eames, Jacob Eames. And I could not recall how he endured the next several hours. All he could think of was the word lost. And if Eames' views were true, if his own philosophy was true as a deist, then that means that Eames' life and his death meant absolutely nothing. That it had no purpose whatsoever. And to think that he would make his way back home, find himself at this inn, at this particular time, and that the person that he was next to was his best friend, the one who was sick was his best friend, that he was the one who turned Adoniram to deist, to becoming a deist. And now this is the best friend who is now dead. He thought, this cannot be a coincidence. So he heads back home. And then in 1808, Adoniram enrolls in Andover Seminary, Andover as in Andover, Massachusetts. And shortly thereafter, as he's thinking about the things that he's learning in seminary, thinking about God, thinking about salvation, in a walk by himself, he reflects on these things. And through no stunning revelation, not in this spectacular way, just through thinking and trying to understand, he says that he begins to entertain a hope of having received the regenerating influence of the Holy Spirit upon his life. So that through this very subtle way, he begins to believe in the God of his Father. And so he's regenerated. He believes in Jesus Christ. And then what came afterwards were godly ambitions. Though they were questionable, because he still had this lingering desire to do great things. But now Adoniram had aspirations of becoming a missionary. Not just a missionary, but the first congregational foreign missionary, the first American missionary. This was in 1809, and Adoniram had written, it was during a solitary walk in the woods behind the college while meditating and praying on the subject and feeling half inclined to give it up that the command of Christ, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, was presented in my mind with such clearness and power that I came to a full decision and thought great difficulties appeared in my way, resolved to obey the commands in all events. So he made these ambitions known to his parents, and his parents expected differently. But understandably, his mother did not want him to go because for him to go to foreign missions might mean that he, she may never see his son, her son again. His dad was expecting that he would become a minister and stay local, stay in the area. But Adoniram was decided. Soon after, in 1810, he meets Anne Hasselton, also known as Nancy, falls in love. And before proposing, he sends a letter to her father, sort of asking you know, for her hand in marriage. Pretty striking letter. Let me read it to you. He says this as he writes to Nancy's father. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring. Thinking about going to Burma next year. To see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. 
whether you can consent to our exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her Savior from heathens saved through her means from eternal woe and despair? As a father, I'm going to be like, ah, no. But her father doesn't say no. Instead, he leaves it to her to decide. So she accepts. And then off they go to Burma. So if I can quickly pause here before we get to second point, just a quick word of encouragement, exhortation. Specifically, specifically to the dads. For those of you who still have children in the home, or looking to have children in the future. It's natural for us as fathers to want our children to do great things. It's natural for us to want our children to surpass us academically, surpass us in accomplishments, to surpass us in so many different ways. And they're not bad desires. Abedinaire's father wanted his son to become a great man, and he thought that he would become a great man. In a sense, he did. But if I can encourage myself and encourage you in this way, it would be this. That the most meaningful and impactful way that you can encourage your children is to instill in them a passion for living for the glory of God. That no matter what they do, whether they surpass you or not, whether they go on to the mission field or not, whether they go on and get educated and pursue a career in some other thing, whether they, uh, whether your daughter becomes uh, something great or not, whether that, whatever, however you define that, whether your, whether they, your daughter becomes a stay-at-home mom or not, whatever your children aspire to be, and you'll know that as they grow older, right? But no matter what it is that they do, no matter what it is they accomplish or don't accomplish, they shouldn't have a desire to do all things for the glory of Jesus Christ. Because young people these days are looking for a grand purpose. To live. I remember a few years ago, maybe it's still true today, I, haven't really, I don't really know, but I remember when there was such an influx of young people going to jihadist movement. Why? Because they were looking to live their lives for something bigger than themselves. They were looking for a great purpose. And your children do not need to go outside of the home to find a great purpose for their life. You know what their great purpose is, and that is to live for the glory of God. That is the grand purpose of our lives. That is what we're called to. That is why we are born, and that is why we are given a new life in Christ. No matter what it is that you and I do, no matter what it is that they do, give them a drive 
to live for the glory of God. Right, and as a father, you have such, such an influential position in their life. They see you as an authoritative figure. They look to you. They want to please you. And it's not that the mom cannot have that kind of effect, but you have such a greater effect upon your children. And use that influence, use that effect, use your position as a father, as a husband, to instill in them and drive to live for the glory of God, no matter what it is that they desire to do. So then, so second, relentless enemies. So the judges embark in 1812. It takes them almost a year to reach India, because right, they're traveling by ship, right? There's no planes. They landed in Calcutta, and they were wanting to settle in Burma. However, in one biography it says that they had finally put Burma out of their thoughts. For about that country, they had learned a good deal more that was unpromising. A friend of theirs had repeated that in Burma, they would be under both a king and local governors who were absolute despots and that governmental corruption was unbelievable. And the laws were the bloodiest on earth. The commonest punishments were beheading, crucifixion, and pouring melted lead in small quantities down the throat. And these were inflicted for such minor offenses, such as chewing opium. And continuing this description of Burma, the country presents a rich, beautiful appearance, everywhere covered with vegetation, and if cultivated, would be one of the finest in the world. But the poor natives have no inducement to labor or raise anything as it would probably be taken from them by their oppressive rulers. Many of them live on leaves and vegetables that grow spontaneously, and some actually die with hunger. Everything is extremely high, therefore many are induced to steal whatever comes their way. There are constant robberies and murders committed, scarcely a night, but houses are broken, open, and things stolen. So they ended up eventually settling somewhere else, but still, Burma continued to impress their minds. That was the desire of their heart. And so they eventually would transition to living in Burma. The thing today is actually it's Myanmar. So they embarked in 1812. September 11th, 1815, Roger Williams Judson is born. And he dies months later. And reflecting on their son's death, Nancy, his wife, said, Our hearts were bound up in this child. We felt that he was our earthly all, our only source of innocent recreation in this heathen land. But God saw it was necessary to remind us of our error and to strip us of our only little all. Oh, may it not be in vain that he has done it. May we so improve it that he will stay his hand and say it is enough. Not only that, but they had another child prior to Roger Williams, who also passed. Now, in Burma, they were working to learn the language, 
Judson, soon after learning the language, began to write the Bible in the Burmese language. They began to write tracts and catechisms. And it was after six years that they saw their first convert. Six years. Now, anybody would be tempted to think, God, what are we doing here? Is this working? Are we supposed to be here? But they kept at it. They continued to be faithful. And six years later, after first arriving in Burma, they saw their first convert. They were there. After 12 years, they saw 18 converts. Now, to some, that might not be a lot. 12, 18 converts over a span of 12 years. I'm just saying, that's 18 souls who have been saved from eternal separation from God. And now the Lord, know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, surely, after these 12 years, there was war between Burma and Britain. And so everybody, every white man was considered a spy. And so Adoniram was arrested. The spotted face came into his house, barged into his house with others. The, broadest, the spotted face was a branded criminal turned executioner and prison guard. They were, normally, they, were typically, they were called spotted face because typically they had some kind of mark on their face. Now, it might actually be a mark, but many of them actually were called a spotted face because... They were either missing a nose, missing an eye, or missing an ear. And so he and others were led away into death prison. It was called death prison because many people who went into this prison didn't, never made it back out alive. Now the prison was 30 feet wide and 40 feet long. And they cramped 50 prisoners in that prison. They received minimal to no food. They were depending upon family members to bring them food. They were depending upon the local villagers and their kindness in bringing food to the prisoners. There was no bathing. There was vermin everywhere. I mean, it's... it's, And he spent 11 months in a prison cell. He and other of his friends... It's natural for anybody to be in despair and to live in that close proximity with other people. I mean, you're bound to get angry with other people as well. There was one time when one friend of his called Brother Price, he was a man who said he could only sleep kind of like in a fetal position. But he would also have at night nightmares. So every time he had a nightmare and he was there in a fetal position, he would just shoot up. And then he would kick his feet out. And every time he would kick Adoniram Judson in the back. Until finally, Adonai just had enough. And he says, Brother Price, you are a public nuisance. Sleep like everybody else does. I mean, they almost got into a fist fight until one of their friends broke them up. Now, during this time of imprisonment, Nancy, his wife, was pregnant. Baby was due late January, early, early February. And she was born while Adonai was still in prison. Eventually, the prisoners... Were, let, were freed, including Ananiram, after 11 months. At this point, Nancy's at the point of death, gravely ill, because she's on top of taking care of the things in the house and on top of taking care of a, of a nursing child. She's running everywhere, meeting with this person, meeting with this local official, going to this place and that, trying to advocate for her husband's release. It utterly debilitated her. 
Not only that, but their little Maria was also sick. Now, Adoniram is called by the government to travel to a different location to help in translation. And as he's traveling, he receives a black sealed letter. And the person who delivers the letter says, I'm sorry for the loss of your daughter. So he braces himself. He opens the letter. And it says this, my dear sir, to one who has suffered so much and with such exemplary fortitude, there needs but little preface to tell a tale of distress. It were cruel indeed to torture you with doubt and suspense. To sum up the unhappy tidings in a few words, Mrs. Judson is no more. It wasn't his daughter that passed away. It was his wife. That was 1826, November 24th, 1826. April 24th, 1827, little Maria also dies. So now Adam Justin is utterly alone. He's lost his entire family. And so then he gets what's kind of known as the hermitage years. Adam begins to seclude himself. He begins to blame himself for the loss of his family. He begins to question his his, his personal ambitions realizes that he's filled with so much pride and he wonders if it's, if, it's, if it's his pride that has led to the loss of his family. Now, Adoniram has two other siblings, a sister and a brother. His brother is younger than him. Before he had left for Burma, his brother was not a believer. Now, while he's in these years of seclusion, he receives a letter that his brother has died. But in the letter, it tells us that on his deathbed, that his dear brother did call out the Lord God as his Savior. And so he received that encouragement, and that helped to kind of get him out of these years of seclusion, and he went back to the mission. At this point, he was 43 years old. Then in January 31st, 1834, he completes the translation of the Burmese Bible. He was 46 years old. And during this time, there was another missionary, also a widow. Her name was Sarah Boardman. She and her husband, extraordinary people, also went to India to become missionaries. Her husband, they had a child together, but her husband ended up dying as well out of, from illness. But he had met them both. And Naram and Sarah corresponded, not often, sent, I think, a couple or a few letters between each other. And to kind of sum it up, to kind of paraphrase, he eventually realized, hey, he, I'm a widow, you're a widow, let's be together. And so she accepts, and they get married in a week. And so they, they have a new chapter together. Now, between he and Sarah, they have eight children one was stillborn, and two died shortly after the first birthday. Now, Sarah became gravely ill, and so they thought that she should travel back to New England, that getting into a different climate would help her health. So the family gets together and to, to, to sail off to New England, and then Adonai writes this, 
as she sick, her mind became liable to wander, but a single word was sufficient to recall and steady her recollection. On the evening of the 31st of August, she appeared to be drawing near to the end of her pilgrimage. The children took leave of her and retired to rest. I sat alone by the side of her bed during the hours of the night, endeavoring to administer relief to the distressed body and consolation to the departing soul. At two o'clock in the morning, wishing to obtain one more token of recognition, I aroused her attention and said, Do you still love the Savior? Oh, yes, she replied. I ever love the Lord Jesus Christ. I said again, Do you still love me? She replied in the affirmative by a peculiar expression of her own. Then give me one more kiss. And we exchanged that token of love for the last time. Another hour passed, life continued to recede, and she ceased to breathe. For a moment, I traced her upward flight and thought of the wonders which were opening to her view. I then closed her sightless eyes, dressed her for the last time in the drapery of death, and being quite exhausted with many sleepless nights, I threw myself down and slept. He continues, for a few days in the solitude of my cabin with my poor children crying around me, I could not help abandoning myself to heartbreaking sorrow. But the promise of the gospel came to my aid, and faith stretched her view to the bright world of eternal life and anticipated a happy meeting with those beloved beings whose bodies are moldering at Amherst in St. Helena, and it's back in India. Adonair loses his second wife. His exhortation or encouragement for anyone who is who's had a difficult, very difficult 2020, for those of us who may be called to suffer in some way, shape, or form, Faith shines greatest when it holds on to the promises of God while suffering. Faith shines greatest when it holds on to the promises of God while suffering. But it is easy, not easy, but it's tempting to doubt God, to doubt the presence of God, to think to yourself, God, where are you in this? God, why have you allowed this in my life? Why am I suffering in this way? But those are the moments when you need to press into the kingdom and believe in the promises of Christ as they're written for us in the scriptures. Look to the word. Pursue those promises. Look to the heart of Christ. Look to the one who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He means it. He really means it. Hold on to Christ. Hold on to those promises. That's what's going to help you to endure. Third, adorning yourself with beauty. So focusing a little bit more on Adoniram's wives. First it was Nancy, 
All these women, he, had, he married three times. All were extraordinary, extraordinary women. Nancy. And they were all, by the way, they didn't follow their husbands blindly. But they knew what they to expect. They knew what they were getting into. Their husband's vision became their vision. It became their desire. And so they were all in. They were fully invested. So when they were on the mission field, Nancy taught children to read, conducted Bible studies with women. And, while, and, and, and at some point she got sick and she had to travel back to New England. And while in New England, while in Massachusetts, she wrote a book recounting their missionary life, which was instrumental in mobilizing Christians and churches for missions. She wrote catechisms. Sarah Boardman, his second wife, also an extraordinary woman. In adolescence, she took care of most of her younger siblings, and she was the oldest of 13 kids. She taught herself logic, geometry, Latin, rhetoric, theology. On the mission field, right, she could have, after her, her first husband's passing, right, she could have just gone back. But she was a bold and courageous woman, continuing to stay in Burma, continuing to preach the gospel and evangelize to the lost people. And even after, after her husband, her, her first husband's passing, she had a thriving school. Emily, Adonai's third wife, was a prolific writer. And she left all for missions. In fact, as she, so she and Adoniram, this is in his return trip, right when Sarah, when Sarah dies. So he returns home as a widow or as a widower with his kids, meets Emily Chobek, also known as Fanny Forrester, prolific writer. Criticized by many for marrying Adoniram and going off to the mission field thinking that Adoniram has kind of bewitched her or something. So they travel back. And they make their... They, they live in Maine and then they transition to Burma, but it was a terrible house. And she writes this. He talks about the home and says that there's thousands and thousands of bats that disturb us in the daytime only by a little cricket-like music. But in the night, oh, if you could only hear them carouse. The mosquito currents are our only safeguard. We have had men at work nearly a week trying to thin them out and have killed a great many hundreds, but I suppose their little demoniac souls come back, each with an attendant. For I am sure that there are twice as many as at first. Everything, walls, tables, chairs, etc., are stained by them. And as if bats aren't enough, we are blessed with our full share of cockroaches, beetles, lizards, rats, ants, mosquitoes, and bedbugs. With the last, the woodwork is all alive, and the ants troop over the house in great droves. Perhaps 20 have crossed my paper since I've been writing. Only one cockroach has paid me a visit. But the neglect of these gentlemen has been fully made up by a company of black bugs about the size of the end of your little finger. Nameless, nameless adventurers. And she continues, we are obliged to get directly before the window in order to see, and we suffer unaccountably from the damp air. 
we frequently shut up all shut all up and light candles at noon. The doctor, talking about Adoniram, has severe rheumatism in his right shoulder and constant headache, but his lungs do not trouble him so much as during the first storms. For myself, I am utterly prostrated, and although I have taken care of everything and written a little, I have not set up an hour at a time for six weeks. I have my table by my couch and write a few lines, and then I lie down. The wooden ceiling overhead is covered with a kind of green mold, and the doors get the same way in two days if they are not carefully rubbed. Now listen to this. Now, do you think I am in any way discontented and would go back to America to live in a palace? Not I. I am ten times happier than I could be there. And then we are so, so happy in each other. We are frequently startled by echoing each other's unspoken thought, and we believe alike in everything. Emily finished Sarah Judson's scripture questions, which was a Bible study curriculum. She conducted prayer meetings for Burmese women. She wrote a biography on Sarah Judson. So these were extraordinary, extraordinary women, but it's not so much by what they accomplished or what they did. What I gleaned from their life, and this is a word to all of us, married or not, no matter what stage of life you're in, the thing that I, I take from their lives is that they were so content in Jesus Christ. I mean, you hear how the terrible living situation that they were in. He just says, I would still be much happier here than I would be back home. Only a person who is content and satisfied in Christ would say something like that. So whatever it is that you have and don't have, whatever it is that you wish you had, whatever things happen in this next coming year, whatever it may be, because we have no idea, right? Whatever happens, pursue contentment and satisfaction in Jesus Christ. Be content in him. Be satisfied in him. Find your great gladness in Jesus Christ. And moms, be a model to your children. Be a model of someone who presses into the kingdom of Christ. Let your children see what that looks like. Let your children see you serve others. Let your children see you encourage others, hear you pray for others, hosting others, loving others. But I also encourage you to pray for your husbands. Pray for them regularly, even daily. Pray for your husbands. Admonish them. Encourage them. Because they need it. So lastly, very, 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 very briefly. So at the end of his life, so early, so 60, 61, Adonai became very, very ill. And they thought that it might be best that him, for him to get out of the climate of Burma. To travel. Because if he had stayed, then he will surely die. But if he leaves, even for some time, he, there's some hope that he might live. And so he was not afraid of death. And during this time, 
Emily writes that she that he had given himself much more to pray than he had ever that she had ever seen him in his life. And if you read through his biography, he'd given himself to prayer in these moments than he ever had in his entire life. Trusting in God, realizing in a way that he has not exercised as much faith as he should have. And what he's getting at is that because he's so brilliant, a lot of things came naturally to him. Because they came so naturally to him, he didn't have to, he felt like he didn't have to exercise a whole lot of faith in God to do all that he did. But he realized just how, how erroneous that was. And he confessed that to the Lord. That even though, to see that even in somebody who accomplished so much, even he considers himself man of little faith. So he goes off, he's traveling, he's on ship with doctor, the couple friends. But it doesn't save him. He becomes ill. Everybody knows that it's only a moment. It's only, it's only a matter of time. And he passes away. Emily, his wife, doesn't find out until months later. So she eventually takes their only living child and travels back to Massachusetts, where a year later she dies of tuberculosis. So Adoniram struggled with personal anguish and turmoil. He suffered. He was sick. His family was sick. He lost a lot of his children. He fathered a total of 13 children. Only five of them outlived him. All of the others died before the age of two. Many of those children did not even see the light of day because they were stillborn. His first wife, Nancy, died when she was only 37 years old. Sarah was 42. Emily was 34. And Adonai was only 61. Now, Adonai translated the Bible for people who did not know Jesus. He wrote an entire dictionary in the Burmese language. Because of his efforts, many people were able to escape the final judgment of God by believing in Jesus Christ. And today, there are close to 3,700 congregations in Myanmar who trace their origins back to this man's labors. And not only that, but he was instrumental in pioneering foreign missions in America. So here's, very briefly, a final lesson for us all. And that is that the point is not to try to do something extraordinary for the Lord. Adonai was filled with a lot of personal ambition. And he realized that through suffering, he realized that he had a lot of personal ambition that he needed to confess and repent of. It doesn't matter whether or not you accomplish something incredible for the Lord. What matters most is faithfulness. You want to do something extraordinary for God and just be faithful. Be faithful in everything that you're called to do. Be faithful in your job. Be faithful in your home. Be faithful as a husband or father. Be faithful as a wife and mother. Be faithful as a single person. Be faithful no matter what stage of life you're in. Just be faithful. The way in which people will remember you most is by the seeds of love that you have left behind. That's what matters most.
How are you loving others? How are you serving others? How are you encouraging others? That's the kind of legacy you'll leave behind. Those are the things that people will remember you for. If you want to be known for something, be known for being faithful. Be known for being a person who loves. Because life is short. Life is so brief. Live it to the glory of God. Leave those seeds of love no matter what you do. What matters most in the end is if the Lord knows who you are and the Lord knows your name. Even for those acts that nobody will ever recognize, the Lord knows them. You want to press into the kingdom? Those who press into the kingdom are marked by faithfulness. Be known for faithfulness. Because I think that's what matters most. Let me pray. Lord, we... Lord, we come before you. And we confess that it is not always easy to be faithful. So we pray that you may assist us each and every day. Help us, God, to be faithful, to press into the kingdom of Christ, to pursue the kingdom of Christ. Help us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us to love our neighbors, ourself. Help us, Lord. No matter it is what it, no matter what it is that we endeavor to do this year, help us to give all our efforts and just be faithful for the glory of Your name. It is the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Please stand and worship together.
church. for this coming year. And I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation and I will put my trust in you alone. And I will not be shaken. 
appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Brothers and sisters, this is my prayer for you as we depart today, that we may continue to pursue Christ and his transformation in our lives so that we may know what is good, acceptable, and perfect. You are dismissed. Go in peace until we return again, Lord willing.